Get those Bibles out, open them up to Acts chapter 18. And as we get started here, Jacob, why don't you throw the uh, map of Paul's second missionary journey up. Uh, In chapter 18, we come to the end of Paul's second missionary journey and the beginning of his third missionary journey. So we've spent the last few weeks over there on the left side of your screen, on the west side of the map, in the region of uh, Achaia. Paul has been in Athens, reasoning with the philosophers there. And then today in our verse, verse 1, we'll see him go to Corinth, uh, just across that, um, that channel. And then he'll pop across there back to the pink Asia, uh, over there to Ephesus. And so um, that'll kind of set us up for Acts chapter 18, knowing on the map about where he's at. And so in Acts 18, 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to uh, Corinth. So the author of the book of Acts, Luke, deliberately describes how the gospel spread by what was called the gradual establishment of radiating centers or sources of influence. Um, There's these certain parts as we go through chapter 17, chapter 18, where there's these important cities that the impact of the gospel kind of explodes there. And and then just that shockwave goes out from there uh, to the important places of the earth because of the influence of these towns. So Athens last two weeks there in chapter 17 was the intellectual center of the ancient world. Remember, it was where Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, uh, Epicurus, Zeno, they all had um, expounded their philosophies from Athens there. Remember, Athens was known as the birthplace of democracy, had three famous universities there. Um, It was known to be one of the most distinguished places in the world. And the gospel had just reached there in chapter 17. We, We saw some of the first Christians there. And then today we're going to come to a city called Corinth. Okay, now, as you hear some of these uh, names today, you're going to hear of Corinth. People that live in Corinth are Corinthians. We're going to read about a place called Ephesus. People that uh, that live in Ephesus are called Ephesians. And now you're thinking about in your Bible, there's books of the Bible called 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians or the book of Ephesians. And those are just letters that were written to these places where the gospel is impacted and churches have been established. And now there's tending going on to those churches through uh, the pastor and apostle Paul. So Corinth now would be the next big city where the, just the impact of the gospel radiates and impacts the world. It's um, was more, not so much the intellectual center like Athens, but the commercial center. It was, uh, man, I don't know, you guys remember back in the 80s and the 90s, the, just the massive store called Emporium. Anybody? I mean, Emporium, for me, that was where the rich people went and shopped, you know. Um, I bought a pair of Nikes at Emporium once, and there was a piece of plastic on them. It slit my leg open. I had to have, um, had to have uh, stitches, and my mom walked me back in there and showed him my leg and was like, we need some satisfaction, you know, and they're like, can't help you, you know, um, that's why I walk with a limp today, thanks to the Emporium, but, uh, but, uh, Corinth was known as a world famous 
emporium. Uh, for long, Corinth was this commercial, political, it was the naval rival of Athens, so kind of a rival of Athens. In 146 BC, there was um, an anti-Roman revolt that happened, and so they lost, and so for reprisal of that, uh, Corinth was leveled to the ground by the Roman general, um, I don't say this name much, so Mumius, and the, so the site there of Corinth just lay uninhabited and derelict for a century, but in 44 BC, about 100 years before Paul is there, the city was refounded by a guy named Julius Caesar, ever heard of him? And it was given a status of a Roman colony uh, with the title Laius Iulia Corinthius, or Corinth, the praise of Julius, okay? Uh, some wonderful, interesting things about Corinth. And uh, why don't we throw some pictures up here, Jacob? There's just some random pictures that'll just kind of, as we slowly go through, and you can go back to whatever you think is fitting, Jacob, as I read this. But a um, couple different historians here, F.F. Bruce and Stott, uh, tells us that Corinth was situ- situated close to the Isthmus, which joined mainland Greece to the Peloponnesian Peninsula. So um, let me help you out here because I know there's a map of when things work, they work, right? Um, there's a neat map. There we go. That's the one that I was looking for. Uh, a map that shows just the distance there and, and this Peloponnesian uh, Peninsula, uh, which joined mainland Greece um, to Europe. It commanded the trade routes in all directions, Corinth did, not only north-south by land, but also east west by the sea for before the Corinthian canal was cut out for three and a half miles across the isthmus there was a slipway along which cargoes and even small vessels could be hauled saving 200 miles of perilous navigation around the southern tip of the peninsula so um and so this cool little canal was created three miles here where ships were able to get through and and safely rather than the 200 mile trip around and even when the canal wasn't there they used to just haul boats uh, you know, roll boats and haul boats across the land there. So it was a very important hub there for traveling and for shipping cargo. Uh, so Corinth had two ports. If you look at the map of Corinth, Lakem on the Corinthian uh, Gulf and Centria on what was called the Saronic Gulf in the east. So it had these two port towns on this tiny little section. Uh, and so as Stott says, thus through its tow harbors, Corinth bestrode the isthmus with one foot planted in each sea, which led Horace to call it bimaris or two seed. You've heard of two faced? You two faced. Well, Corinth was two seed, right? Had two seeds there basically within the city. And so it was a very important city. As you study history, you study where cities develop and grow, uh, ports and harbors are incredible places for cities to thrive. Uh, F.W. Farrar imagined Corinth's marketplaces stocked with cosmopolitan goods. He says, Arabian balsam, Egyptian papyrus, Phoenician dates, Libyan ivory, Babylonian carpets, Cilician goat's hair, Lycaonian wool, Persian slaves. If trade could radiate in all directions from Corinth, then what else could radiate in all directions? the gospel, right? So it was this incredible missions hub uh, there in, uh, in Europe. And then by the end of the day, we'll see Ephesus, another city famous also for its commerce. 
but it would also be a principal religious center of the Greco-Roman world. And so with Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, these three major cities of the Greco-Roman world, all of them in different degrees, centers of learning, trade, and religion, and the Lord's going to impact each of them for his kingdom. So Corinth is where we're at today. Uh, we, we saw a little of the geography there. It has this in- incredible canal passing through it. But it was the capital province of Achaia and was known for its wealth, for its sensual excesses. And that included worship of the goddess of fertility, Aphrodite. It also held what was called the Isthmus Games, uh, which was second only to the Olympic Games. So it was this great place for, the, for these athletic games to take place. It was an immoral city. Uh, a Corinthian person was, and even is still today, synonymous with immorality. A Corinthian person was known to be out of control with drunkenness and sexual immorality. Any Roman play that had a Corinthian as a character had that character as a drunken, immoral individual. And perhaps you've heard, even in pop culture and some songs that are out there, of a Corinthian girl. A Corinthian girl was a harlot or a prostitute. And maybe even you might have heard back in the day, you will not leave this house looking like a Corinthian girl, right? Uh, So you're like, no, never heard that. Good. That's good. Nice and modest. But uh, Corinth had a huge temple to the goddess of fertility, Aphrodite, or also known as Venus, the goddess of love. Where thousands of young, I'm just thinking of the Razor commercial, right? I'm your Venus, I'm your fire, your desire. And I'm like, man, that is a catchy tune. Just rip the hair off your legs. And then I'm like, boy, there's some connotations in idolatry. We should not have those in our house. And that is when every gal in the church started growing out their hair legs. Okay, um, legs under hair. We will not have that in our house. But um, you don't want to know what Gillette means in the uh, other. Okay, anyways. So... Sadly, at the temple of Venus or Aphrodite, thousands of young slave girls would come to offer their bodies up in temple prostitution and roam the city streets at night as prostitutes. And when you read the, um, the book of Romans, Paul wrote the book of Romans from Corinth. And so as you read Romans chapters 1 and 2 and you see the depravity of man, many guys speculate that Paul was just looking out his window while he wrote the book of Romans and just began listing things that he saw, you know, in kind of the Las Vegas of its day. Um, and so, uh, so we're in Corinth now, right? And verse 2, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So we have new characters introduced to us in the book of Acts, Aquila and Priscilla. Now in my younger days, I always had a hard time knowing which one was the gal, right? (laughs) Aquila and Priscilla, I don't know, they both are. Um, So Aquila, the husband uh, of Pontius, born probably around the southern end of the Black Sea, and his wife Priscilla, you guys, Aquila and Priscilla, we'll see him throughout the New Testament, dear friends to Paul, just gems to him. In Romans 16, Paul says that Aquila and Priscilla risked their own necks for his life. And he 
not, he not only gave thanks to them, but all of the churches in, of the Gentiles should thank Aquila and Priscilla for their ministry to Paul. And then you see in 1 Corinthians 16 that uh, at the end of his letter to the Corinthians, he, uh, and so now we're in Corinth, right, today, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, hey, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So when you greet someone heartily, it's like that double-handed handshake, you know, just really shake people really good. And that was Aquila and Priscilla, just like, we remember you, Corinthians. We remember Acts chapter 18, and we just miss you, and just our love goes out to you. Just, you know, keep living for Jesus. And, you know, and, uh, and so, uh, and also they were known to have that church in their house. So I was just over the other day uh, hauling some cows away from the Barnes home, uh, Caleb and Julie Barnes, and uh, and they were just I I had forgotten that they were hosting a home group at their house, and as I went in for a egg burrito, uh, breakfast burrito from them, they were talking about how they host the home there, and that that they're just so thrilled to be a part of our church, and as just like minded having a, a home group in their home. I'm just thinking the whole time it's Aquila and Priscilla, like right here in front of me. I don't know which one's the girl and which one's the guy, Aquila and Priscilla, but I'm guessing it's Caleb. I mean, the hairdo gives you away, buddy. But all right, so. Uh, and then we read about Claudius's exile of the Jews and how they were, Aquila and Priscilla were exiled out of Rome. And the history behind this is that in 49 AD, in an act of anti-Semitism, Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. He had a hatred for the Jews that spread throughout the whole world. And the Lord is going to end up using what Claudius and Satan meant for evil uh, to help uh, expand the kingdom of the Lord. The historian Centorius. Uh, writes about Jews being expelled from Rome because of riots that developed over a man named Christus. Christus. So Centorius is a non-believing historian, and he writes about riots among the Jews because of um, a man named Christus. Okay. Some scholars speculate that by the time the gospel had gotten to Rome, the preaching of Jesus had incited these riots, resulting in the expulsion of, of the Jews. And so it's a little about Aquila and Priscilla. It's a little about, about their expulsion by Claudius. And that brings us to verses three and four here. So because Paul was of the same trade, the same trade as Aquila and Priscilla, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So uh, Paul was a tradesman. Uh, very good for ministers to have a trade under their belt. When I uh, was done with school of ministry, uh, I felt like I was probably going to be called to a small town and I might need to work to support my family as we did ministry. So I went to a trade school. I went to welding school and uh, only did one term of welding, although I did it as a youth, but um, in, in college there before I was called on staff as a pastor and have been on staff at a church ever since. But just to have that idea of a tent maker, we often call it, or that trade so that we are not a burden to the people and we can work and serve and minister out there and be lights in the world as well. But it's interesting, though, that Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla were all tent makers. That ended up being a convenient connection between them all. Some commentators prefer instead of tent makers, you guys might appreciate this, that Paul was a leather worker or a saddler. Anybody? We're like, oh yeah, you know, where's Len Babs, you know, and Brad Mastry and 
You know, you guys are like, who are these guys? These are saddle makers in our local community. Jeez, what's wrong with you guys? You don't know your saddle makers? Okay. In fact, I heard that uh, Ted, oh shoot, another saddle maker just moved to town. Anyways, uh, so leather work, saddle, Paul was a cow, I think we can establish Paul was a cowboy. Okay. Um, so much so that Paul was the ancient Levi Strauss. Okay. So, because another translation of this is that Paul was possibly a cloth worker, and it's least, at least plausible, though not proven, that Paul wove a coarse fabric from the thick goat's hair of his native Cilicia, called in Latin Cilicium. It was used for curtains, rugs, clothing, as well as tents. And so if you know anything about Levi Strauss and his upbringing, like he basically created denim. And when he moved to San Francisco from, he's from Germany. And when he moved from, uh, from uh, St. Louis, I think, over to San Francisco, he just was selling this denim by the yards for tents, right? For all kinds of coats and wagon canopies and all that stuff. And then another guy came up with the rivet, like the rivets in clothing. And you guys are like, are we here to learn about Jesus or Levi's? I think Levi's would be a good thing to spend our time on today, okay? So, um, but another interesting thing, though, is they partnered up together with the riveted jeans or whatnot. And I just was reading today that Levi Strauss was a Jew and was a very generous man who, was, who gave to orphanages and, uh, and colleges. And so it was just interesting. I was like, Levi's like the modern day Paul the Apostle, right? Um, I don't know where he was at with Jesus, but... So we see Paul, you know, selling his wares, you know, or being Levi Strauss over there in Corinth, Corinth and using his job as an opportunity to minister to the love of Christ. And it's just a good notice here. We don't have time to really get into it, but Paul worked regular jobs and still found time to reach and to preach to the people. And there's many verses in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, um, where Paul talks about how he worked with his hand and he didn't want to be a burden to anyone. And even though he had the right to, um, to take a wage from the people, he didn't do that for their own sakes. And then uh, by the time um, Silas and Timothy will meet him in Corinth, they're going to bring a big offering from the Philippian church that's going to free him up to be able to do ministry without the tent making work kind of from this point on. But uh, there's great, um, there's some good theology, there's some good ministry philosophy in how Paul worked with his own hands, but we're not really going to spend much time on that today, mostly because it would make you guys thrust me out of my office here and get a job out in the community, and we don't want to talk about that right now. So anyways, man, Rory's down at the Chevron a lot these days helping people with their windshields. Yep, it's all right. Um, and so in verse four, we see that, uh, he, that he would spend time kind of on the off time uh, reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuading both Jews and Greeks. So this is the second time we see that Paul reasoned with people. Um, he argued with them. He conversed with them and had dialogue. Remember, we've seen this in the past, but it's good to be reminded of just when we share the gospel and we're a light in the community, it's good to spend time just reasoning with people and just having reasonable conversation. We don't have to get in hot debates but just have reasonable conversations. See if people will dialogue with you. In the Greek, it's that reasoned is the word dialogeto, and it means to present a thoughtful, sound, logical concept. And so it would just be interesting to say, hey, can I just have a, a reasonable conversation? I want to just bring something before you and present 
a logical concept before you. Let's talk about Jesus, okay? And, uh, and it says also that he would persuade both Jews and Greeks. Now, the word persuade there is in the continuous text and re- tense and refers to this ongoing process where there was acceptance of the reasonable presentation of the truth. So these people would accept the presentation of the gospel to them. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So uh, you see there this phrase, after his buddies showed up, then he was compelled by the Spirit. And oftentimes that's what happens when you're out there being a light. And, you know, I know how it is. You're just at work and you're like, man, I know I'm supposed to share the gospel. or I'm on my team or I'm walking the dog and I come across these people at the park every day. And, and it's just kind of awkward and I don't know how to, you know, the Lord knows, right? He's sympathetic to us. And it's interesting, though, because then there's those times where it's just you're walking the dog, you're walking the dog, you're getting the mail, you're getting the mail. And then there's this one time you're with that person that you see and you're compelled by the Spirit to share the gospel. So there's no, like, guilt trip on you. Just know I'm supposed to be a light. Just know I'm supposed to share the gospel. Just be praying for that person. Lord, open up the door. And it's incredible because there's some times where you're like, I am compelled by the Spirit. Now is the time that I'm to open up my mouth to this person. And, and with that compelling comes the power to do it. I can tell you from personal testimony. But the language there speaks of Paul being moved to share the gospel or to be pressed, it's pressed upon his heart, or that he's actually seized to move past his comfort zone and to tell people that Jesus is the Christ. The uh, new version that I read uh, today, the Lexham English Bible, says that Paul now began to be occupied with the message. Uh, Now that his buddies came and visited and joined him from Athens, now he was able to be occupied again with the message. And the Phillips translation says, Paul was completely absorbed in preaching the message. And I just pray that over us as a church. It's so my heart that every person here goes out of this place as a minister and a missionary, just with open hearts to be compelled and to be absorbed with sharing uh, the message. And it's just a good lesson for us. When was he compelled? He was compelled when his buddies showed up. And a lot of times that happens when we're with our friends and we're going out and about. We've got each other to spur one another on. One time Joe Papa and I went, Papa and I went to a bull sale in Montana. And at every stop throughout um, our trip to Montana, we'd be getting fuel. And we'd come across these characters. It was like we could have filmed a movie like the road trip, you know, like Rory and Joe road trip. And we're just at these, you know, we got guys coming and they're like, will you buy me some pot, you know? And I'm like, hey, I'm not going to buy any pot, but can we pray for your body? You know, because they're hurting. And they're like, I need some pot for my body. And I'm like you know what? We all need pot for our butt. No, I'm just kidding. You know, we don't, you don't need pot, bro. You need like Jesus. And so we got to pray for healing and minister to these guys. And we're going to a saddle shops and we're going to these saddle shops. To, we're looking at buying saddles and we're just sharing the gospel with guys. Just incredible. And just having Joe there and me there, we both were like, like we're both cheering each other on that we would be sharing. And when we're at the gym, Chris and I, and we're working out at the gym, we're just like, here we are. Like I'm, I'm more bold to be sharing the gospel when I got my bros with me, right? And so have your friends around you that are same mind, same vision. Because that's when Paul, he was then compelled. Now that my friends are here, uh, it's time to get after it. And so in verse 6, But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. 
from now on I will go to the Gentiles. So again, very common, Paul would start out with the Jews, sharing in the synagogues, and then be rejected by the Jews, by many of them. They opposed him, they set themselves against him, and they blasphemed and defamed him and railed against Jesus. First Peter tells us in chapter 4, verse 14, that if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On, on, uh, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So don't be afraid of the faces. Don't be afraid of the railing and the derision as you would share the gospel. Blessed are you when the persecution happens against you. So Paul did this interesting dramatic thing. He had a flair for the dramatic sometimes. And in this case, he did something where as he's leaving them, he does a little shaking off of his garments. You know, he maybe even had sort of an apron on being that leather worker or that tent worker. You know, and so he shook, his, shook off his garments like right in front of him. You know, whatever, you know, he just shook it off. Super dramatic, right? One guy said, so that not a speck of dust from the synagogue might adhere to him. Like, you know what? You guys are such haters. Like I came in love to share the gospel with you to tell the love of God towards you. You're such haters. And the, you know, it's like Jesus says, like, woe to you. You know, if the works that had been done among you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented, but you're not repenting. It's going to be worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't even want the dust from the curse that's about to happen, you know, in this place. I don't want any of the soil from this place. Like, you're on your own. Like, I'm, I'm free, all right? I'm clear uh, from the judgment that's going to come upon you guys. Uh, he did what, uh, probably the song he had in his iPod while he was sewing a saddles from Taylor Swift. Um, Shake it off, right? Okay, anyways, shake, shake, shake it. Okay, anyways, uh, but the encouragement for us is don't let your experience in this town get you down. Don't even take the dust with you of the places you've been rejected. Sandy Adams said, rather than getting shaken up, we need to shake it off. Jesus said it in Matthew 7, 6, don't give what is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before the swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces so there's some point when you're sharing the gospel with someone and you're like okay this conversation has turned they're not open to the gospel and me spending time here any longer it's like a danger to me and the message and so but paul speaks to them in his shaking off of his garment your blood be on your own heads i am clean from now on i will go to the gentiles so paul has in mind the principle of personal responsibility to speak to men on God's behalf. You read of this in Ezekiel 3.16. It's the, the, the prophecy of Ezekiel and the watchman, where it says, Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you've delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he's done, shall not be remembered. 
but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered uh, your soul. It reminds me when I was a, uh, a youth, there was a story going around, and I, I think it was from um, my pastor's uh, former ministry that uh, there was a high school girl that had a dream one night that um, she was going to heaven and she was ascending, you know, up into the sky and up into the presence of the Lord. And as she was going into heaven, there was a glass elevator descending down to hell. And many of her friends were in this glass elevator going down to hell. And one of her best friends is pounding against the glass saying to her, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me about heaven? Why didn't you tell me about hell? And, and the girl woke up in a cold sweat and she went and told her friend, I got to tell my friend about Jesus. I can't have her blood on my head. I can't have this happen. And as she told her friend, her friend said, I had the same dream last night and, uh, and became a Christian. So this is a story that was told to me when I was young. I don't have the great sources on it, but it's similar to the idea though of Ezekiel and the watchman. William MacDonald said, the apostle's words are a solemn reminder to every believer that there is such a thing as blood guiltiness. The Christian is a debtor to all men. If he fails to discharge that debt by proclaiming the gospel, God will hold him responsible. If, on the other hand, he faithfully witnesses for Christ and meets with stubborn refusal, then he himself will be free from guilt and the responsibility rests on the Christ rejecter. And so Paul shakes off his garments. He's innocent of the blood of those Jews. He takes his message to the Gentiles. Bruce says he would take his saving message to people who know how to appreciate it, right? Kind of like, you know, I'll take my casserole to someone that'll appreciate the hours that I put into, you know, and you're like, fine, you know, sorry, just having conversations about our dinner table the other night um, and dinner. Anyways, uh, but he departed from the synagogue in verse seven and entered the house of a certain man named Justice one who worshiped God whose house was next door to the synagogue. So it's kind of funny here as you read this because Paul leaves the synagogue in a bit of a huff and rightly so, but he just goes like immediately next door. <laughs> like some even some sources even say that it shared a wall with the synagogue. <laughs> like so, so if you know our worship sessions, you can only imagine like you go to the next door and then you're like, such an awesome God. And you, you hear it through the wall in the synagogue and they're just like, you know, so he literally like goes next door, you know, kind of some comedy here of what's happening here. I talk about setting up shop right next to your competition here. Verse eight tells us that then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So this is just epic, isn't it? You've got Paul leave, dusting himself off, really dramatic, leaving the house, and then you can hear the door shut next door in the, you know, in the house next door because Paul's setting up shop there and begins to share the gospel there. And Crispus, the synagogue leader, you can just picture him like, oh, I'll lock up tonight at the synagogue, you guys. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, see you guys. Have a good, yeah, okay. What's going on next door? And just like, you know, he's just like peeking next door, like, he's like listening to the message. And then finally, you know, he graces their presence. He comes in. And becomes a Christian. Like this is incredible uh, that, uh, that the ruler of the synagogue becomes a, Christ, a Christian, Crispus the Christian, and his whole household 
gets saved. A mighty victory for Christianity. Him and his family were instrumental in the revival that would happen at Corinth. Now, you might notice this incredible phrase at the end of the verse that many of the Corinthians, number one, heard the word. Number two, they believed. And number three, they were baptized. Just three great, you know, steps in evangelism. You give them the word, give them the message, give them the gospel. They believe the gospel. They receive the gospel. They trust and believe and receive and obey the gospel. And then as a response to the gospel and the saving work in their life, they make a public declaration in the water and show that their sins have been washed away and they're born again to new life. Bruce said the Lord had begun swelling the new community. There's a good type of swelling uh, that happens here. It's the beginning of the church in Corinth, the church that Paul loves so much that would be zealous for spiritual gift and yet sometimes use them out of order. They would have sexual immorality happen in their midst and they'd receive correction from Paul to deal with it. Um, they, uh, they did deal with it and they would end up having a revival. You read of it in second Corinthians, uh, the, this church that Paul loved so much would take communion in an unworthy manner. They make a great commitment to giving in a time of crisis and had to be reminded of their commitment. Uh, it's the beginning of the church that had their struggles, but was still a wonderful light and lamp in the world. And then in verses nine and 10, Paul has this vision in the night. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I'm with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. So what an encouragement. How many of us would the Lord say the same thing to today that you don't need to be afraid in your situation, in your trial, I'm with you. Someone said that Jesus fortifies Paul here with three vitamins. Number one, the vitamin of presence, the vitamin of protection, and the vitamin of promise, of success. There are over 7,400 promises in the scriptures, Chuck Swindoll tells us. And one of them is that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So why would Jesus take the effort to show up to Paul in this post-resurrection vision and say these things, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent? Why would Jesus tell Paul, do not be afraid? Because Paul the apostle, just like us, experienced fear. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. R. Kent Hughes says there had been culture shock in Athens and now Paul experienced moral shock in Corinth. It's sweat and perfume and grit smothered Paul's righteous soul and he became depressed or he became afraid. So the pattern for Paul throughout all of his missionary trips basically went like this. He'd preach, revival would happen, and he knew somewhere down the line a good old-fashioned beating was going to happen to him. He'd get to a point probably where he'd say, you know what, I'd rather not be beaten this time. I'd rather not have to go through the conflict. I'd rather not go through the injury, be stoned, be imprisoned, be beaten with rods, all this tough stuff. I'd rather not. And, and yet the Lord shows up and said, don't be afraid in this city. I'm going to show you how I got your back, okay? And, and so there's this great promise to him to not be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I just feel like there's a word for us today because um, many of us are not in the same place as Paul as far as, you know, afraid that we're going to get beat up for telling people about Jesus. 
but there's other things going in your life and the Lord just wants to speak to you and encourage you today. Don't be afraid for I am with you. And if you look in second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, and I have it, I have the text there for you guys. Um, long story short, you guys, Judah was, was going into battle against three armies bigger than herself, probably 3 million men coming up against Israel and they were doomed. And there's this great passage where King Jehoshaphat declares a fast and he prays out in second Chronicles 20, 12, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And just for anybody here today that you're in a place where you're like stuck in Corinth and you're scared and you don't know what to do, come to a place like Jehoshaphat and cry out to the Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, Lord. And what else did Jehoshaphat do? He proclaimed a fast throughout the nation. And while the people began to fast, the prophet Jehaziel stood up and said, listen all, this is in verse 15, Listen, all of you, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And I just want to encourage you guys that that's encouragement from the Lord today for you to fast, bring your matter before the Lord, and to rest in him, put your eyes on him. And the word for you today is the battle is not yours. Okay, and I have seen this in so many incredible ways that if you will bring that matter before the Lord and you will fast and maybe it's one meal, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a number of days, depending on how desperate you are, bring to the Lord your hunger and cry out to him and let the Lord begin to go to do the work for you. In verse 17 of the text with Jehoshaphat, the prophet says, you will not need to fight in this battle, position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. And he goes on to say, Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So just this incredible word that's always on my heart in times like this is when the Lord says, You will not need to fight in this battle. So whatever it is, there's something that's really got you stressing out. There's some big decision. There's some open door that you need there's some hard relationship that just needs breakthrough take it to the lord with fasting let him do the battling let him do the fighting cast your cares upon the lord for he cares for you and you will not need to fight in this battle the battle is not yours it's the lord and the conclusion of the story is so great in verse 22 now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come out against Judah, and they were defeated. And it was such a defeat, you guys, that it took three days for the Judeans to collect all the spoil from the, from the war and all of the plunder. And so I would just encourage you guys, set your hearts to prayer, to fasting, to praise, and to worship. Set the worship band out in front of you. Turn on that Spotify account. Get the worship going and watch the Lord fight the battle for you. And you know what? The Lord is going to come through for Paul as he's there uh, as well. And so, so good that Jesus shows up to Paul because he would end up staying there for a year and a half uh, ministering 
uh, in this place in Corinth. And he might have left a year and a half too early if Jesus hadn't spoke this courage to him. Another great encouragement to him was that he had many people in this city in Corinth. Many people that probably that the Lord wanted to save. Many people that the Lord would give Paul favor with. And we're going to see that uh, happen here as we wrap up there. He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Uh, and when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, isn't this so awesome? Paul's about to open his mouth to defend himself, thinking the battle is his right now. I've got to do it. I've got to open up my mouth, get ready. And when Paul was opening up his mouth, about to do the fighting all on his own, Galileo speaks up and says to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, then there'd be reason why I should bear with you. But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. He bid them adieu. And then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, who's the new ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo turned a blind eye to this or took no notice of these things. So, so you see how the Lord, a year and a half later, God's promise, that's one reason we sang this song, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. You never failed me yet. And then here, Paul, he's been there a year and a half, and he's like, one of these days, someone's going to be throwing a stone at me. Someone's going to be dragging me before some court and judge. And what do you know? Here it comes. And they come, and the Jews lead a revolt, and mob mentality raise up. They drag him before the proconsul. They accuse him of false religion. And this incredible precedent is set when Galileo, the Lord fights the battle for Paul through the mouth of Galileo. Paul doesn't even have to say anything. And Galileo speaks up, and I wish I had time to get into what a neat guy Galileo was. Just had a, a record of being an awesome man, okay? Um, Galileo speaks up and says, you know what? This is part of your own religion, right? Judeo-Christianity. It is a religio licita. It's a, it's a bona fide religion, and it has to do with Judaism. And so you guys need to deal with it yourself. Get out of my court. And he kicks him out. And so all the, the Greeks, the non-Jews beat up Sosthenes for wasting the court's time. And, and there's discipline that happened to Sosthenes. He's got a big old spanking from the Greeks there, right? A, a Greek salad spanking, I think. And the crazy thing is that I got to end, I got to bring this plane in for a landing, is that uh, in 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Jacob, will you take us there? 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. So this is the first verse of the first chapter of the first letter to these Corinthians. And he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. What does that tell you? Who was Sosthenes? He was the second ruler of the synagogue. Crispus got saved. Sosthenes became the second ruler of the synagogue, got the beat down by the Greeks for, for daring to persecute a Christian, Right? The Lord fought for Paul. Sosthenes got some correction and he would end up becoming a brother in the Lord and part of the mission team uh, with Paul. Isn't that incredible? 
like, when does this thing end? Right now, okay? So will you guys stand with me, and uh, we'll close in song. Worship team, why don't you come on? We're going to have just the home group leaders and their wives come up front and just be available up here to pray for um, anybody that's going through a period in their life where they're afraid, you're afraid, you're anxious, you've got stuff going on that's just, you need the Lord to move a mountain, you got relationship issues, big decisions, conflict, um, you know, just tough, tough stuff that's causing you to lose sleep at night and just be anxious over decisions and the the expenses and all these things. And there's the word for the Lord for you today is just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Bring it before me. Pray fast. Trust in me. Let's give it over. And the battle's not yours. It's mine. And you won't need to fight in this battle, but position yourself. Just position yourself and watch me win the victory. And so if that's you today and you just need prayer, I want to invite you up uh, to get prayer from some of these ministry leaders in our church. And and uh, we'll close uh, with this last song. Amen. We'll close with that today. God bless you guys. Stick around for some fireside fellowship time. They're 10 minutes in over there. They're getting all the sprinkled donuts, you guys. So get in there, hang out for some fellowship and coffee. And I love you guys.